Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, Editor-at-Large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. It's the back-to-school season, and kids are returning to classrooms, some for the first time since the pandemic began. How can teachers, parents, and kids navigate this new landscape? Scholastic has teamed up with the Yale Child Study Center to create a website with social and emotional learning resources, stories of resilience, and expert insights to help everyone get off to a great start this school year. Lauren Tarshis, who is Senior Vice President, Editor-in-Chief, and publisher of Scholastic Magazines Plus, as well as the author of the best-selling I Survived series, will tell us about the new site, Back to School, Back Together. We hope it will be a terrific resource for everyone. Later, I'll talk with three teachers about Classrooms Count, a fundraising platform that Scholastic recently launched. The platform helps educators in communities around the country raise funds for books and resources for their students. First, here is Lauren Tarshis. Hi, Lauren. Welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Suzanne. What are you hearing from the teachers you work with? as they start the new academic year? It's such a great question, Suzanne. And of course, we have such a, we, our country is so enormous and there are so many different voices and so many different dynamics that are swirling around. I would say to distill what I'm hearing is a sense among teachers who feel supported by their administrations. There's a feeling of, of, fortitude and hope and eagerness to get back. And I think in districts where, again, there's a a bond of trust between teachers and the administration, teachers that I, my my friends who are teachers in our network, um, there's a feeling of, of optimism shaded by a little bit of, by uncertainty because of what's happening with the Delta variant. And then of course, there are teachers who are, are very frightened in areas where the mask mandates are being questioned and low vaccination rates and uncertainty. And I think they're also responding to the feeling of polarization and heightened emotions in the community. So not really sure how to navigate that. And once again, our teachers are our frontline workers who are, we are, we are, expecting and we are asking so much of them. And I think that those who feel supported are ready. And hopefully those who are feeling less supported or challenged will find ways to get the support they deserve and they need. That's so interesting and really makes a lot of sense, Lauren. The teachers, though, are going back into a situation I know we've said this so many times, unlike any other, (laughs) what are the resources that they are telling you they need and how is your, has your team responded with a back to school website that will help teachers meet the range of needs that they will find among their students in their classrooms? 
you know, we feel so lucky, Suzanne. I know you feel the same way that we have at Scholastic. We have this remarkable partnership with Dr. Linda Mays, who's the director of the Yale Child Study Center and her team. So this is this formidable group of, of scientists and childcare experts who are so filled with compassion and wisdom and insights. And Dr. Mays is just a warrior in support of educators and children and parents. So we, we can turn to, we, we really have been turning to Dr. Mays and her team for help in understanding how the pandemic has, has impacted children and teachers and then what role Scholastic can play to support them. And I think after many months of conversations with Dr. Mays and listening to teachers, and we came up with the idea that what we want to do is we want to provide what we, the term I would use is fortification. We want to help teachers feel fortified, optimistic, ready. We want them to have a realistic sense of what their students might be encountering without making teachers feel as though they should ever be in the role of having to be a social worker or a mental health professional. That is not an educator's role. But by having some insights into what children might be facing, by feeling more prepared for what they can encounter, we think that teachers can, we can alleviate some of the stress that teachers might be feeling as they're, as they're heading back into the classroom. So we, we aimed to give, to distill down a lot of Dr. Mays' most refreshing and bracing and interesting insights, along with very simple tips for how teachers can make some small tweaks in their classroom routines, in their messaging to their students that will help them create as supportive and nurturing a classroom environment as they can. And in most cases, they're really just amplifying things they're already doing. So we're not suggesting that any huge transformation and lift happen. And we also just really want to encourage teachers to to take care of themselves, to know where to get extra help if they need it. And then what we also did is we created a really beautiful free showcase of some of our very best social emotional learning articles, profiles of kids from history who have faced challenged at challenges and are modeling resilience, really delightful stories that are going to help kids talk about maybe difficult emotions in ways that are super, that are positive and and again, the word, you know, these two words, fortification and optimism, that's the energy we want to help um, add to these classrooms and that I hear from teachers they need the most. That is so lucky and wonderful to have the expertise of Dr. Mays. I hope the teachers who are listening will avail themselves of this incredible resource. Now, we know we, as you mentioned, teachers are going to hear the stories of students. Stories are what make us human. We're all about stories. You yourself are a master storyteller, Lauren. What types of stories will support classroom conversations about uncertainty and change? Well, I have a couple of thoughts about that, Suzanne. I think one of the most bracing insights that Dr. May shared is that the whole world has gone through a shared experience. This is truly unprecedented. It is. I mean, we've all experienced the pandemic in America. Every child has been touched. However, the impacts have been felt unequally. So we have a shared experience, but every single individual is coming, is moving through it in different ways. So children will be coming back to school 
having experienced this pandemic, which is ongoing in very different ways, some are coping with grief and loss. Some have actually thrived, as Dr. May said, you know, maybe in some cases, children who were facing troubles at school or needed a break from some of the social dynamics have done better during the pandemic. At the same time, we can't judge by the surface. We can't assume that just because a child was home with a functional family with lots of support and resources that they have not been um, impacted by the many of the mental health ramifications that Mm -hmm. so many kids are facing. We know that anxiety and depression has been skyrocketing among children. So I think that I'm just saying that because that does impact the kinds of stories that teachers are going to want to be sharing. So I think the number one suggestion that we share with teachers is that if they can, to try to find out, to reach out to families before school starts so that they understand if there are children who are grieving, if there are children who have, have, are experiencing any particular difficulties. We even actually have a template of a family letter that teachers can simply adapt and share. So we've tried to do some of that pre-work for them so that you come into the classroom knowing these two kids might need some extra support. You can make sure the administration provides that. You can establish an extra channel of communication with families, and you can avoid a kind of story that might be triggering for that student. But generally, that said, we were really surprised, and Suzanne, you and I talked about this in our last podcast, that we expected during the pandemic for magazines, you know, we have these 25 beautiful resources that were wide, this beloved during the pandemic because they work on any device and we have incredible videos and all of these multimedia resources along with our stories that made them perfect for, for remote learning. So we were expecting the teachers would be wanting kind of escapist fare, light and funny and gross out stories about bugs and stinky animals and that sort of thing. But we really got many requests from teachers who wanted us to be providing stories that would open up conversations about emotions, model, give examples of children from history and today who are facing challenges with different types of support. That's what they really wanted. And I was sort of surprised by that. So we have on this hub that we've created, we have provided a large range of age appropriate stories and videos and other resources. Some are really squarely, really talking about what it was like during the pandemic. I actually wrote a fiction story called Back to Normal about a child coming back to school and wanting to get, you know, start with his routine. But of course, his best friend moved to Texas and his favorite donut store is gone and he's grappling with those emotions. There are also stories, historical stories that are just inspiring and bracing that once again provide these models. So. I think that at the root of teaching SEL, social emotional learning, it is providing models that children can learn from. Children, real kids, or fictional characters that they can feel connected to, and stories that have that emotional depth that enable teachers to start really good conversations. It's much safer for kids to talk about characters or other children than to talk about themselves. But in having those conversations, it is really, I mean, it's a wonderful, there's a whole body of research that shows that the power of stories and characters to help to help foster a sense of healing and well-being. So those are the kinds of stories that we're providing and teachers are really asking for. We also know how important it is for all children to be able to see themselves 
Not every child is the same. Everyone is coming from different circumstances. We know that children of color have been hit especially hard during the pandemic and with the social justice movement and the generational trauma they experience even coming to school. How are we helping those children in particular? It is such a core mission in magazines, in our in our scholastic as a whole, but certainly in magazines, to make sure that every reader sees him or herself in our story. So not only do we want to be modeling, you know, just we want kids to meet characters who look like them and sound like them and come from backgrounds like them, but we also want to really be showing these authentic experiences and also to have, have stories written by people like them. So I so agree with you. I think that it, especially if we're trying to use these stories as avenues for discussion about healing and connection and empathy and resilience, it's critical that the stories themselves reflect the diversity of our country and our readership. Absolutely. That's great to hear about all of these resources. And finally, Lauren, I wondered for any parents who may be listening, How can they support their children and their children's teachers as we embark on this new year? I think that the there are so many interesting nuances to this back to school. I want to share three particular insights from Dr. Mays that are so relevant for parents. And they really help me as I'm thinking about my own daughter. Our youngest is is going back to school um, as well. The first is that In many cases, this pandemic has caused an upheaval of the social pecking order. And it's interesting. I never even thought of it that way. But, you know, as sports teams couldn't play the way they they did, many people did move away. New people moved to town. I mean, there's been people have really moved around. So for some children, for parents, you know, friendships have friendship groups have in some cases frayed. People have moved away, but there's also for many kids an opportunity for a fresh start. So I think that it's, I think messaging that to, to children is exciting and positive. And once again, modeling resilience in how you're framing something and connected to that. I think that Dr. Mays, after these hours and hours of conversations, and some of it is a a lot of what's happening during the pandemic is, is very frightening and uncertain But at the end of the day, her message is that study after study show that positive growth can come from out of challenging circumstances, period. That's it. We know this as a country. We know this from our own experiences. So for parents, finding ways to message this, not in a, you know, trite way, like, oh, it'll get better. Oh, we'll learn from this. But really um, helping kids understand that this might be really hard, giving them reasonable expectations respecting and honoring the fact that they might be struggling, not hurrying them through a period of of adjustment, having patience, letting them know that, you know what, this might take some time. We might need extra help. I am here for you. Um, Your school is here for you. Those kinds of messages, I think, have never been more important. And I think that, I think what Dr. Mays is also suggesting is that the kinds of coping tools that we help children identify today are the tools that are going to help them throughout their lives. So this is a truly, it is a remarkable learning opportunity. So foundational and so exciting that you and your team have done this extraordinary work. Now tell us where we can find this online. There are listeners who may want to check it out. 
Sure. Yeah, this is all free. We, we, we wanted to make this available to anyone and everyone. So it's scholastic.com slash back together. Great. And we will include that information in our show notes so that people can find the link when they go to our page as well. Thank you so much, Lauren, for talking with me today. Lots of great, really fascinating insights that I think will help everyone flourish this school year. Thanks, Suzanne. Now, here is Janine Sha, a teacher from the San Francisco Bay Area. She'll tell us about Classrooms Count, a fundraising platform that Scholastic recently launched for educators. Hi, Janine. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Good morning, Suzanne. Well, this is such an important program to be talking about, so we're delighted you're here. First, tell us a little bit about your teaching career and a little bit about your students. So um, I will be going into my sixth year of teaching soon. And then for my students, um, I first taught in SEI, which means structured English immersion so that like you teach English only, but you know how to teach students whose first language is not English. So that's how I taught for the first three years, uh, first four years. And then last year, I transitioned to becoming a bilingual teacher. In bilingual, you teach both languages. You teach in English as well as Spanish. Last year was a leap for me because I've always had my Spanish bilingual authorization, but I never used it to apply to a bilingual position. I was finally brave enough to take that leap of faith and I can't go back anymore. I just love being a bilingual teacher now that I can't go back to just being a regular SCI teacher. <laughs> that is wonderful. Congratulations. And tell us, you're based in the Bay Area. Yes. What is the age range of your students? The age range, um, eight to 10 years old. Last year, I had third, fourth bilingual combo. And so my third graders came in being eight and they came out like leaving me turning nine. And then for my fourth graders, they came in nine and then they left me turning 10. I know that you started a successful campaign using the Classrooms Count fundraising platform. Could you tell our listeners about that? So for the campaign, it involved um, inspiring my bilingual students to read more at home. They missed holding physical books a lot. And because of that, I just, I talked with some of my friends and I said that I encountered emails from Scholastic talking about the Classrooms Count campaign. If I make a link, would you all be willing to help me? And so they said, yeah, let's do it. And so I just went through the steps, the three easy steps that Classroom Counts has, and they made it very simple. And then I had my students make their wish list of books that they would want so that I could figure out how much money was needed so that I could actually write it in the actual campaign. And so went, so that's how it came to be for just so that my students have physical books in English and or Spanish to read at home, whether for themselves, to their families. And they ha they've been, they had so much fun to read to their own siblings, like being like the author chair and like reading to their siblings. It was really cute to hear about how excited they were when they got those books and um, read at home. What a wonderful motivation. Tell us about some of their favorite books. A lot of them are Dave Pilkey fans. So Dogman in English and then Hombre Pero in Spanish. And so they love the Dogman series. And graphic novels are an excellent way to um, 
engage the visual learners and just inspire them to read. Uh, the wonderful part about Dave Pilkey is that he includes excellent vocabulary in there, even though it's visual and it's a graphic novel. And students, they love it so, so much. And my students love picture books. They love um, chapter books. But I must say, Dogman is like the most popular in my class. And it's such an excellent way to introduce them to more and more chapter books because it is a thicker book. Those are terrific books. And they're deceptively simple. I would say there's so much in them. There's so much great vocabulary and complex stories, and yet the kids can kind of devour them. It's a very interesting concept there. I think that Dave has. How how did you promote your campaign? Did anyone contribute whom you didn't even know? I promoted on Facebook. So that was the only outlet that I used. And so when I promoted on Facebook, all of the ones who donated were all like family friends or friends. I did not have anyone that was a stranger to me. But at the same time, because they were family, friends or friends, I got to reconnect with some of them. Like the ones that donated, uh, uh, some of them were people I haven't talked with in a while. And so it was actually a good way because of it. I was able to thank them as well as like check in with them on how they've been doing during the pandemic and stuff like that. So there was that. What a great tool for everyone, you know, to enable your friends to feel like they're helping. You know, they're helping future generations really get a good start. We know the back to school rush is on. You're going to be heading back to the classroom. Do you have advice for other educators around the country? Do you have advice for other educators around the country on how they can use Classrooms Count to fund causes that matter to them and support their students? I highly recommend doing it with Classrooms Count. The funds, there's no, there are no fees and you can select the books right on Scholastic. And as you know, Scholastic books are very reasonably priced and they're wonderful tools. So you can, there's so many inspirational ideas um, that you can find in the Scholastic emails or on their website that give you ideas on what campaigns that you can make. So perhaps you want to be like me with inspiring home reading. So you can create a campaign uh, revolving around home reading. Or you can do um, like some other teachers have done. They want um, they want books for the classroom, and so they do a classrooms count campaign for the accounts campaign for the classroom. So whatever you feel, whatever avenue you feel is best serves your students' needs, I highly recommend you going in that direction. But there is one thing I another thing I really want you to consider as an educator, a fellow educator in this country, is that really take into consideration about representation. Representation in the sense of languages as well as culture. My students on their wish list, they chose, most of them chose books that had characters that represented them. So I had, for example, one student, she's Latina and um, she identifies as Mexican-American. And she told me that I'm going to choose that book because that book is about a person's journey. And I see her like her, like she looks like me. And so I want to read about what her story is about. Is it similar? Is it different from my own? I have another student who's half Mexican and half Native American. And so when she saw a book about someone um, being more courageous, she was like, I want to read about that one. So those are some things for you to consider as you go back to school and 
launch your Classrooms Count campaign. Thank you so much, Janine. That is such a crucial point. It's so important for kids to be able to see themselves in the pages of a book and to be able to dream big dreams when they see others like them. That helps incredibly. Now, here is Shaniqua Ashby, who teaches in Mount Sterling, Kentucky. Hi, Shaniqua. Welcome to the program. Hi, thank you. I'm very excited to be here. As am I to have you. So first, tell us our listeners where you teach and a little bit about your students. I teach at Mount Sterling Elementary, and we're a small elementary school in Kentucky. I teach fifth grade social studies and writing. I mean, I have a pretty amazing group of kids this year. I have about 75 students total, and we're just off to a really good start. That's great to hear. And I know you also launched a successful campaign using the Classrooms Count fundraising platform. Could you tell our listeners a little bit about your project and why it was so successful? Yeah, absolutely. So last summer, I came across the Scholastic program and I was really inspired by, inspired, I guess, is an interesting word to use. I I felt a sense of helplessness, I guess, in the wake of the events of last summer, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, civil, uh, I'm sorry, social unrest um, in the country. And I'm just like, what can I do? in this moment. And I I spoke to another teacher on my team, uh, Miss Fonz, and we were like books, basically. So I hopped on to, I don't even know how, what made me think to go to Scholastic, but I hopped on to Scholastic and I saw the option to do a classroom campaign. I wrote up my campaign, I put it out there and it had a really good response. How did you promote the campaign and who contributed to it? I just shared the campaign on Facebook to my friends and family, colleagues, things like that. I didn't really expect the response that I got, but there were so many people who believed in what I was doing in my classroom and who wanted to help. Um, Just family, friends, colleagues, those are the people who supported the campaign. Could you tell us a little bit about the books that you purchased for your students and what they enjoy about the books? So I really wanted to purchase books that really amplified minority voices. We all hear about the quote classics that most students read at school. I wanted to get books that really kind of connected with the population that we have. We have a huge Hispanic population Um, at my school. However, we didn't have books on the shelf that those students could really see um, themselves in. Um, The same thing with me as a student. I never saw myself in a lot of the books that we read. In fact, I didn't even like reading until I went to college for that reason. So I did. I wanted to get books that amplified Black voices, Brown voices, LGBTQ plus voices, um, just to reflect who was sitting in my classroom. So my students were very excited um, to see the new books on the shelves. Um, They were excited to kind of get to read things that they never read before. I also do read-alouds in my classroom. And two books that they really, really, really loved um, were Esperanza Rising 
um, and the crossover. So two books that are written from the perspective of black and brown people. um, And they really, really, really enjoyed those. That's great to hear, Shaniqua. Do you have advice for other educators who may want to use Classrooms Count? What I would say is believe in yourself. Don't underestimate yourself. People believe in you. So whatever campaign um, that you're thinking about doing, do it because you'll get support. I'm sure I'm talking to a lot of phenomenal teachers out here. People do still believe in public schools and school teachers, and they are looking for ways to support. Thank you so much, Shaniqua. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? No, I'm just grateful for the opportunity. I'm very grateful to Scholastic for having the campaign program available. And I'm just excited to start a new year um, with our new books. I wish you all the best to you and your students. Have a wonderful school year. And thanks again for telling our listeners about the program. Absolutely. Thank you all so much. Now, here is Chrissy Casey, who teaches in Malvern, Pennsylvania. Hi, Chrissy. Welcome to the program. Hi, I'm excited to be here. Thank you for all that you do, not just with Scholastic, but for your students and for the future. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, we start school two weeks from today. I'm looking forward to it. That's wonderful. Tell us where you teach and a little bit about your classroom. Sure. I teach in Malvern, Pennsylvania, which is about an hour outside of Philadelphia. I teach first grade with usually between 22 and 24 kids, a variety of levels and very diverse classroom. We started out virtual, went back partially in October where I had half my kids in on Tuesday and Thursday and the other half in Monday, Wednesday. And then in March, we went back full. So I got everybody Tuesday through Friday with Monday being a day that we get to clean the classrooms and get together and figure out what's going on. Interesting. Well, it's so exciting getting everyone back, I'm sure. My goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I was really happy when to be in person. I'm an in-person. I like to see the kids. I'm sure you do. Tell us about the campaign you created using the Classrooms Count fundraising platform. We shut down in March, Friday, March 13th. Can't forget that day. And I was putting in one more book order in April. And when I went to put the book order, something popped up my screen about getting books for your classroom, make a campaign. And I thought, oh, uh, myself and three other teachers had always talked about doing a bookmobile for our area. And I thought, well, let's see, the libraries are closed. Our kids have their iPads. Some have no internet. Some have no access to books. And I thought this would be the perfect time. So I texted one of my friends and said, what do you think? What should we do? And she goes, well, describe it to me. And I did. And it's, she goes, well, it sounds easy enough. I think we just need to try and see what happens. And so, oh my gosh, it went from there. I started the campaign, I believe the end of April, beginning of May. And by the second week in June, we had made our campaign goal. And I believe it was $1,000. How did you promote the campaign? How did people find out about it and who contributed? Okay. So it promotes on Facebook. I have been in the community for many years, and but 
really, it really took off. So anybody could share it on Facebook and donate on Facebook. So I had people donating that were friends of friends or had heard about it and people shared it and it really, really took off. I know that you've created a wonderful bookmobile for your area. It's a six by 12 trailer painted inside with shelves that your husband built and book bins. And it's been going strong for a year now. Tell us about the kids you serve in your community. Our youngest is probably six months, believe it or not. And we go all the way up through high school, although we've had adults read the high school novels too. So I would say we do um, service adults. We go out every Wednesday and we're out from three to seven and we have four stops one Wednesday. And then the following Wednesday, we do five different stops. And so we do it every week, but it's every other week, depending on your stop. And we pull up, we open up and the kids get a squirt and they're allowed to pick out three books each time. And then they return their books and get three more. And the great thing about Scholastic, I'm able to get the new and popular books that everybody wants, like the graphic novels. (laughs) What do you mean the kids get a squirt? A hand sanitizer. They get a squirt of hand sanitizer on the way in and then on the way out. And then we did have, they do are required to wear masks. We do provide masks if they don't have them. We kind of go by the guidelines of the school. So we did have a time that we weren't wearing masks, but now we're back in masks. I see. I and, see. Yep. And we usually, uh, a couple of the stops that we have, they line up and they're ready for us. I mean, we have quite a line in a couple of our stops. And we just added a new stop and uh, we had 25 kids at the new stop. So so we can see the hunger for yes, reading. It's, well, and it was so great because when everything was shut down, we were the only way that a lot of these kids were getting books because of lack of internet. And the one we have Epic with school, but that only gives limited books. So we were able to bring books to a lot of the kids that just didn't have access and didn't have any at their house. Good for you. What an amazing project. Well, it, I mean, honestly, it kept us going when we were online that we actually got to see kids and excited about something. They were excited to be when we were there putting their, you know, getting the books they wanted. Amazing. You mentioned that you'd be heading back to the classroom soon. I wondered if you could tell other educators who may be listening how they can use Classrooms Count to make a difference for their students. Well, it's really quite easy. Once you go to the Classroom Count, it takes you step by step and you make a goal. You describe what you want. So I was describing that we wanted to get books in the hands of kids in our community. So you make it public and then people are able to to donate and to share to it. And so you can keep track online in Scholastic. And then uh, the great part about this is you can use it on any of the Scholastic stores. You can use it the parent shop, the teacher shop, and you can use it on book clubs is what I ended up doing using it. So you can get the new and the books that the kids really want and uh, at a really good price. That is terrific. Well, thank you so much for your dedication and for talking with us, Chrissy. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? Uh, You know, I didn't know where this was going to go and uh, was very hesitant at first. But I just want to say, even if you're hesitant to try, because we had no idea it would take off like this. 
when somebody shares it or someone really sees what you're doing, they share it to somebody else and it really gets promoted. And before you know it, your goals are met. I really don't hesitate. You know, all, all it hurts is to try. <laughs> well, that is great. Everyone agrees that classrooms count for sure. Thanks again, Chrissy. Thank you. Thanks so much again to Lauren Tarshis and the wonderful educators who joined me today. And thank you for listening. To learn more about our Back to School website and our Classrooms Count fundraising platform, check the show notes or go to scholastic.com slash podcast. Special thanks to producer Bridget Benjamin, associate producer Constance Gibbs, sound engineer Daniel Jordan, and music composer Lucas Elliott Eberl. I'm Suzanne McCabe. We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads next time.